This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret, and Self Work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self work. Welcome or welcome back to Self Work. I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. I'm a clinical psychologist and I started Self Work over six years ago now to extend the walls of my practice to those of you who might already be very interested in psychological and emotional issues. Maybe you're even already in therapy or maybe you're someone who's just been diagnosed with some kind of mental health issue and you're looking for answers or you're in a relationship and you're struggling. But also I wanted to reach a third group of you. Those of you who might kind of shake your heads and go, oh, that therapy is just for a bunch of weak people who can't solve their own problems. And that's not what therapy is at all. So I'm hoping you'll be curious enough to listen in. Or sadly, you might be in pain enough to listen. Welcome to all of you. This month, we've been talking about relationships, and I had a whole other topic in mind for this week on self-work. But as usual, I was listening to a podcast while I was walking this week, and I heard Andrew Solomon speak about his book, Far From the Tree. When parents have a child that has some kind of difference from them, and they struggle not to see that difference as a problem or something that needs to be fixed. I thought it was a fascinating topic, the relationship between parents and children and how love is far different than acceptance and how we as adults can struggle with not feeling accepted, but call it not being loved. So let's dig into that topic a bit today. The listener email is from a mental health professional who tried to hide from her own depression for several reasons, but isn't now. She's kind enough to attribute that to my book and podcast. I'll share her story and hope that for any of you out there who feel that you simply cannot talk about yourself or your struggles with any transparency, then maybe you'll pause And think about that for a second. Let's hear quickly from Ozark Mountain Medicine. Their product has 3,300 milligrams of CBD per bottle. Most CBD products are about 500 milligrams, which comes out to be about 10 cents per milligram. But at 3,300 milligrams, it's less than a nickel per milligram. So on value alone, it's a prudent choice. Let's hear from them. When life gets busier with what can at times seem overwhelming, you want to have as many coping mechanisms at your fingertips as you can. For me, Ozark Mountain Medicine's CBD products are the best way I've found to soothe my own aching muscles. Instead of only one form of CBD, there are 16 varieties in OMM's products. Simply knowing I can reach for it gives me relief. What's most important is that it works. I've been told at least three times in my lifetime that I needed to be assessed for back surgery. And three times, I've kept walking, getting massage, and steadfastly using this product. You can take it orally in tincture form or a calming salve, which is what I prefer. That's also available. And there are other benefits of taking such a high-quality CBD, including immune support, increased relaxation, reduced anxiety, and improved sleep. So here's Ozark Mountain's fabulous offer for self-work listeners. All you have to do is use this promo link, ozarkmountainmedicine.com slash selfwork and you'll receive 10% off your order. I never suggest a product to you that I haven't used myself, and I reap this one's benefits each and every day. Again, that code is ozarkmountainmedicine.com slash selfwork. Sometimes the best solutions are right under your nose, so try a bit of Ozark Mountain Medicine CBD and see for yourself.
love to listen to podcasts as I walk. So this week, I was listening to Andrew Solomon, an author, speaker, and I think just brilliant person whose work I revered for quite a while. In fact, I quote him in my book with his now famous statement, the opposite of depression isn't happiness, it's vitality. Having suffered deep depression during his life, he grasped its tenacity and has used his experience to educate and inspire others to seek help. Anyone who uses that kind of experience to show others the way has my admiration. So I was delighted as I listened that he was being interviewed on the podcast TED Radio Hour. He's writing a new book about the dramatic rise in child suicide, but discussed here his ideas on the huge difference between love and acceptance and how that difference can be understood between parents and children so that there can be less anguish and more patience in families. First, I want to quote him talking about his growing up in a family that didn't want to accept him as gay. So I'm quoting Andrew Solomon. I grew up the gay child of straight parents. Most gay children are born to straight parents. And I very much wanted my parents to accept and celebrate me for exactly who I was. And my parents struggled with that a certain amount. I remember being in a shoe store with my mother and my brother, and the salesman asked us what kind of balloons we'd like when we were leaving. My brother said he wanted a red balloon, and I said I wanted a pink balloon. And my mother said, oh, I think you'd actually like a blue balloon. I said, no, no, I really want the pink balloon. And she reminded me that blue was my favorite color. The fact that blue now is my favorite color, but I'm still gay, is evidence both of my mother's influence and its limits. So that was where we started off, as a family that was uncomfortable with who I was. As I got to adolescence and really understood that I was gay, and as I got into my 20s and told people, I was very angry about what I perceived as a lack of love from my parents. What I found over time was that I was experiencing not a lack of love, but a lack of acceptance. And the research for my book, in which I talked to many families of people who are different in some way, taught me that love may be there most of the time, but that acceptance always takes time. I have to admit, I personally identified with this kind of anger that had seethed in me for years. In Solomon's language, my parents loved me, but couldn't accept or didn't want to accept my passionate desire to be a musician. So I fought them and became one anyway. The irony was that I wanted to be a church musician, but since I wasn't allowed to get a music degree, I became a nightclub and jingle singer. I assure you, the first profession would likely have led to much less chaos. What was it that I and many children or adult children don't understand? It's this difference between love and acceptance. Solomon makes these distinctions. He says there are three sources of acceptance, self-acceptance, family acceptance, and social acceptance. And there's a directionality to those as well. There are what Solomon terms vertical identity which is what's inherited from your family, your skin color, your culture, that kind of thing. And then there's horizontal identity, which is what your friends and social colleagues offer you. Often, if there's not family acceptance, then being socially accepted for whatever your difference is from your family, that can act to stabilize and nurture you. You find your quote-unquote people, whether that be a gay community, religious community, or another culture. Solomon has studied the deaf culture a lot. Again, being deaf can be seen as a problem in the hearing community or by hearing parents, but it's not considered a problem within the deaf community. There's acceptance and understanding there. There are no secrets or a covert wish that you were different. 
But I've met with many clients over the years whose families have not as yet and may not ever offer acceptance. Sometimes love is withheld or withdrawn as well, but often not. It's the communication or the lack of such that can be perceived as complete withdrawal of love. Let's take another quick break and hear from AG1. You'll hear why this resonates with me personally after this break. What better time than now to decide that you're going to do something for yourself in 2023 that will only add to your sense of well-being, where you can begin every single day with an act of true self-care, not a bubble bath, not even a therapy session, but by drinking one glass full of 75 high-quality minerals, vitamins, probiotics, adaptogens, and whole food source superfoods, which support everything from your gut to your immune system to your energy level. I use it every day and love this habit because if you're like me, self-care can get lost in a day full of kids, work, meals, and whatever else comes along. AG1 knows that people who listen to self-work are seeking to make their lives better. So Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five travel packs with your first purchase. Become your own green machine in the first hour you're up and around. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash self-work. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash self-work to take ownership of your health in 2023 and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Again, I want to say that lack of communication can easily be viewed as love. People just not talking about it. I well remember after my dad had a heart attack, his doctor told him to have a drink when he got home from work. My parents had occasionally had drinks, but rarely at home, and certainly not openly with my mom's parents, who were died in the wool Southern Baptist and believed drinking was sinful. Somehow, that conversation occurred, and both families tolerated their discomfort. My grandmother might purse her lips if she were over during happy hour, but no more than that. She obviously wasn't accepting, but they had communicated, and she loved my dad and mom, and I guess that superseded her disapproval. So, what makes non-acceptance tolerable? What if your parents are staunchly Catholic, and you've left that church for a non-denominational worship experience? What if your parents are very liberal? Maybe they live together, and they never married, but you want to have a covenant marriage. What if you don't want to go to college? But your parents both have doctorates. What if, what if, what if? How do we accept things in those we love that we ourselves would not choose? Or it hurts us to imagine them as being different from us. Maybe that's the sticking point, the hurt of it all. I remember a man I worked with years ago who was an avid sportsman, loved to hunt and fish, and couldn't wait for his son to do those things with him. He'd visualized this all his life. They'd win awards better than the ones he had. They'd go out to the hunting lodge and bond like he'd done with his dad and his granddad. But his son was a musician and couldn't care less about hunting or fishing. The man let some tears flow in my office, saying apologetically, I realize this is ridiculous. But I told him no. Those had been his dreams, the way he'd imagined fatherhood. And it wasn't going to be that way. He had to grieve. He knew zero about music, but to his credit, he learned after he grieved his dreams. Maybe that's close to why this is hard. 
No matter how old a kid is, the approval of parents can be very grounding, and so there's something to be grieved. To a parent who's sacrificed and worked hard and done, quote-unquote, the best I can, not to be able to understand on a gut level what makes their kid tick, to fear losing connection on some level, to fight off feeling as if what I taught them isn't being followed, all of that is also hard and has to be grieved. Solomon would remind us that acceptance takes time. Love sometimes does too, but acceptance has a time frame all its own. That's what makes it different than love. This may cause you to think about people in your own life whose differences you've decided are just too much, too hard, too alienating. But who's actually doing the alienating? This isn't the same as someone wanting to argue with you all the time or put you down for whatever differences there are between you. Every time you're around them, they bring up your differences in a hostile manner or need to somehow make their point in a ruthless way. I hope you wouldn't put up with that. Certainly, political differences within the last decade have become very fertile ground for this kind of debate. I just can't be around you if you're going to talk like that. Or even, I can't be around you if I know you feel that way. Really? What if you take a breath and think about that? Is the relationship not worth it to you to tolerate the difference? Maybe not. Maybe the grief is about the relationship as you knew it ending. But here on this podcast, we're talking about parents and children. Maybe if both a parent and a child take a step back and realize it's going to take time, acceptance is going to need time to settle in, then perhaps the relationship can trudge through that time and be good enough. Far too often, however, there's a turning away. I want that acceptance now. This is too hard. I'd rather not think about it. And of course, it can also become complicated if parents or children tell themselves, if they loved me more or respected me more, this wouldn't be a problem. Really? I bet if you think about it, as parents especially, there was something about your life that your parents didn't understand or agree with. Or let's take a child who's choosing another path and they say, my friend's parents didn't have any problem with his choice. Whether that choice was not taking over the family business or taking over the family business, if you compare your parents or your children with others, that's a terrible path to go down and won't help. Let's turn to another idea for just a second. What about mental illness? What about when you have a child that's different because they have ADHD or autism or bipolar disorder? Or what if they're shy or introverted and you're the life of the party? These conditions can be and sometimes are denied because of this very thing. This wasn't in my plan. These mental health disorders aren't wrong. They simply exist. And just like nearsightedness or being tall or short, they're part of your child's world to be accepted and understood and treated, not like it's unacceptable, but it's not to be denied. Again, I understand Facing things that you weren't expecting can throw parents into a world that they don't understand or they don't know anyone else who's dealt with these issues and they don't know how. That's when you look for support. You seek out information and support from others whose reality is the same as yours, even though it's not the reality you planned for. And of course, you have to grieve at least a bit, but then you move on so you can support your child or if you have a parent with Alzheimer's or dementia, you're not wanting to accept that. Or they get into some sort of financial trouble. An adult child isn't prepared for that either. 
But again, it's the relationship that you want to honor. Acceptance. Again, it can take longer than love. Loving your child, loving your parent. In fairly healthy families, that happens without much forethought. But acceptance, that can take time, patience, and a sense of choice. Tevia, in Fiddler on the Roof, watches as each of his three daughters make choices that he would never have chosen for them. And he's angered as each one's choice, especially of husband, becomes more and more radical from his viewpoint. Yet we see him work slowly through his grief, his anger, and come to the realization that he will keep on following his own fiddler, accept what he can, and love when and where he can. I hope this is helpful to you. We have a listener email today that is a little bit longer than normal, but I really wanted to include all of it. I thought, maybe I can cut this down, but I, and I cut a little bit out, but I want you to hear the whole thing. Dr. Margaret, I ran across your book and website while trying to get a better understanding of my own experience. For the past four years, I've been living with chronic pain from a degenerative disc that sends shock-like pain into my legs. I have that too, so I understand. I was a lifelong athlete right up until the moment the pain started. My first ever depressive episode occurred roughly two and a half years into the pain after I realized there would be no resolution. Besides my therapist and PCP, nobody else knew. For a while, I told myself that because I didn't lose track of my hygiene, spend all day in bed, or lose my sense of humor, that the guilt-laden constant stream of deeply negative thoughts were something else. I was, after all, superhuman. I was sure that there was no way that depression applied to me. Like a functional alcoholic, I became the functional depressed. I made use of the early morning waking, 4 a.m. instead of 6, by starting my workday earlier. I couldn't find the same utility in the pleasure-deprived overeating, but I did my best to eat a healthier food before highly processed. I fought the diagnosis like a champ seeking out different measures of depression to prove to my therapist that the symptoms of chronic pain were conflated with symptoms of depression. By the time I found your website and book, I'd been through at least eight different measures, each one calling it what it is. While I engaged in the appropriate level of care, I never shook the stigma and shame of being a mental health provider who has been where her clients have been, not until I found your resources. I know that 60% of psychologists report experiencing a depressive episode at some point in their lives. I just never thought I'd be among them. Sometimes I wonder what it will take for us to create safe enough spaces for providers to talk about this with each other. We are human and therefore vulnerable to the same conditions as other people. There's a whole wave of coaches and peer support specialists who assert that lived experience is as important as the services that licensed providers have to offer. I'm not suggesting that anyone put their personal struggles on their clients. I just wonder if there's a way for us to be allowed to be more human without the shame, embarrassment, and fear of licensing board involvement. This fear is much higher for medical professionals. It's no wonder that professionals suffer higher suicide rates. They're forced into hiding, which we know makes things worse. Please don't worry. This is not a hidden admission from me. Perhaps, though, it is a plea for you to consider addressing this in some way. Another book, a few blog posts, 
and she says something very kind. You have a wonderful direct style that is also warm and relatable, a nice antidote to shame and stigma in my estimation. Thanks for putting your words and ideas out there. I couldn't wait to answer this for one thing. Of course, very kind words, which I appreciated. This is what I want y'all to know about this. First, I want to make sure that y'all know what this listener is talking about in the last few sentences. Every year when I fill out my licensing certificate, I have to answer a question about my mental health, and medical doctors do the same. If you reveal mental illness, then you have to provide all kinds of evidence that it doesn't inhibit or affect your practice. It's so interesting and actually diabolical. Although the move culturally is to destigmatize depression or anxiety or other mental illnesses, we're still considered not to be as capable as others if you suffer from it, and you have to prove that you are fine. About two years ago now, I interviewed Dr. Adam Hill, and that interview will be in your show notes, whose revelation of substance abuse and depression cost him dearly. But he's now become a huge advocate for change in licensure in the state where he lives. He was my first guest, in fact, for a mini-series called Careers That Kill, and medicine is certainly one of those. But I want to get to the heart of this listener's message. She struggled even in her own acceptance that she was depressed, and I'm more than honored that my book, this podcast, and the website have helped her come to terms with her reality. Y'all know that I still experience panic disorder from time to time, and I've been depressed twice in my lifetime where I needed treatment. I think, if anything, that gives me more compassion and more understanding of what it's like to feel out of control and have to look hard to find ways to cope with and address the problem. She also mentions the relatively new or new-ish certification of certified peer specialist, and I think this certification is very exciting. Who gets to be a certified peer specialist? Someone who's experienced some kind of mental illness and advertises themselves as such, but has also received training for how to talk and support others who are going through the same. So they earn a certification of how to talk to somebody, but they also reveal very openly that they have suffered the same. Rather than the therapist as above or neutral to mental health issues personally, which I think is way out of date. It's an idea that's way out of date. It's a recognition that living through a mental illness and working with it offers its own kind of degree or pedigree or whatever you want to say in an ability to help others. My friend, in fact, Terry McGuire, who hosts the podcast Giving Voice to Depression, is a certified peer specialist, and I highly recommend that podcast to you. Again, it's called Giving Voice to Depression. I know a mental health practitioner in my area who proudly told me years ago, you know, I've never gone to therapy. I didn't really know what to say. I think I muttered something like, well, I have many times and I'm glad I did and will do it again if need be. She quickly said, oh, oh, of course I would too. But I'm not sure I believed her. She was a little too proud of that statement. So here we all are, claiming our strengths and our vulnerabilities and helping each other in so doing. And frankly, I'm more than happy to be transparent and hope I will continue to be. And I hope you'll join me and share your transparency with those that you care about. It's so important because you never know what you're modeling for them. They may have a secret that they don't want to tell. But when you share your own strengths, your own vulnerabilities, they're much more likely to do the same.
2023 is the year that I decided I've got to get to know you more. You know, my book was published in 2019, and I had all kinds of plans of traveling and trying to get the message out. Well, the pandemic stopped that. But now I think we're beyond that, and I've got some exciting things to me happening in the next, actually, couple of weeks. First, we have a study group for the book Perfectly Hidden Depression, whose first meeting is actually February the 22nd. In fact, it will already have happened by the time this podcast comes out. But there's another chance to join us on February the 26th. And we'll also have two in March and two in April, the last Wednesday and Sundays of those months. If you want to get onto my Instagram account, instagram.com slash Rutherford, the information is there. Or you can join my Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash self-work. The study group will actually be on Zoom, but you can find my Zoom link there. But there's something else going on that's a little more generic, something called Self-Work Sundays, which will be on Instagram. It'll be an Instagram Live Again, at Dr. Margaret Rutherford on Instagram at 4 o'clock Central Standard Time on Sundays, weekly on Sundays. We'll see how this goes. I'd love to have you join. You can ask me anything you want. I will start with a topic, but we'll probably go way off topic. And those meetings will last about an hour. Self-Work Sundays, 4 o'clock Central Standard Time, beginning March the 5th of 2023. Of course, If you join this study group, you will need to buy Perfectly Hidden Depression, but there will be no charge for either one of those groups. Thank you to those who've left me ratings and reviews. Again, I want to remind you that you are my best marketing team because people will hear about the podcast or hear about the book, and the first thing they do is say, well, how many people have liked it or what are some of the reviews? Thank you, by the way, to someone who welcomed me back. (laughs) That was really, really nice. So please take the minute or two it would take to leave a rating or review and, of course, subscribe either to where you listen to the podcast or you can subscribe at drmargaretrutherford.com and you'll get a weekly newsletter with my podcast and my weekly blog post and other news that I hope would be interesting to you. Thank you, of course, for being here once again or as a newbie here on Self Work. Please take very good care of yourself your loved ones, and your family. And remember that love and acceptance are not the same. That love can happen usually much more quickly, but acceptance, especially where there are major differences, can take time. I'm Dr. Margaret, and this has been Self Work.